Welcome to Have Hope Will Travel. I'm your host, Katie Axelson, and today I'm here with Paul Fortune. Paul has cerebral palsy, and he is a mindset coach here to educate us a little bit about what it has looked like to overcome a challenge that was not something he intended for his life. So, Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks, Katie. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Glad you're here. So why don't you just start off introducing yourself to us since you're a new friend, both to me and to our listeners, a little bit about who you are and what you do. All right. Sounds good. So I got into uh, motivational coaching, mindset coaching, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm on a mission to help people rewrite their stories and take control of their lives, take back their life pen and write the story they want for themselves, not for anybody else. Mm. Because in life, people try to take your pen away from you and write your story for you. And it's up to us to take back our pen to write the story that we want. Because Mm. all through my life, from the beginning to now, people have wanted to take that pen from me. And I refuse to give up my pen because it's my way. I want to write the story. I'm the author of my life. I love that. That's so important. What inspired you to become the author of your own life? Well, it all starts uh, for me at the very, very beginning. Like you mentioned, I have uh, cerebral palsy. And if viewers don't know what that is, it's lack of oxygen to the brain at labor. And as a result of this lack of oxygen to the brain at labor, it leaves one side of the body paralyzed, can affect your speech. And this is permanent. These things don't go away. And there's different severities of cerebral palsy. So when I was born... Um, I wasn't moving the right side of my body very much. And naturally, my mother was very concerned about that. So she took me to the doctors to get some testing done. Mm -hmm. And uh, it came back that I indeed suffered from cerebral palsy. And the doctor thought it was so severe that they thought that I would never be able to walk. And when I got to a certain age, uh, I should uh, get ready to be in a wheelchair because that was going to be my life going forward. Wow. Is that what your life has looked like? What's that? Is that what your life has looked like? No, no. Uh, And it's all because of my mom. My mom is the reason why I walk today. Wow. Um, She, she got that news and, and um, we've had conversations about this. And uh, when she first got that news, you know, she went to bed bawling her eyes out thinking what her son's life is going to be and Mm. how hard her son life life's going to be. And she said to me the next day when I got, uh, got me ready, got me ready to start the day. She said she remembers that I was looking up at her and, um, obviously I couldn't talk at the time, but, but I, I gave her a, an expression, like, don't let this be my story. Mm-hmm. And, and the mama bear started raging inside her and she started to become on a mission, a mission to not allow her son to stay in a wheelchair that she was going to walk and she didn't hope to happen. She believed it was going to happen. So Mm. she got me a second opinion that didn't work. A third opinion that didn't work. A fourth opinion, a fifth opinion, finally found a physician that was willing to assist us with this physician's help and me doing physical therapy six times a week. And my mom's relentless attitude. I was able to walk at age three. Wow. And I don't remember it, obviously, it was very young, mm-hmm. but I do remember being put into soccer roughly when I was about five years old. And at the time, I probably could run 25 to 50 yards before my, my right leg would give out. 
So I was basically just standing there while these other kids are playing soccer around me. And I remember um, telling my mom that this was ridiculous. I don't want to play soccer anymore. I'm making a fool out of myself. I'm just standing there. People are making fun of the kids are making fun of me. I don't mm-hmm. want to do it anymore. And I remember what my mom told me, because I think about this today. She said, Paul, if you do not want to play soccer anymore, that is fine. But you need to honor your commitments. You need to finish out that soccer season. And if you don't want to play soccer after that, that's your prerogative. You don't have to play soccer anymore. And that's basically what happened. I'm 41 years old. I haven't played soccer since. <laughs> nice. Yeah. But you finished out the season, I'm sure. I definitely finished out the season. I, I could not not finish out the season. That's what my mom said. You had to honor your commitment. So I did finish yeah. out the season. <laughs> That's and awesome. I got a big break uh, right after that soccer season. I got surgery on my right foot to tighten mm-hmm. up the tenants, to give me a little bit more spring in my step. And I did not know how much of the game changer this was going to be. I switched schools around this time. And I remember my first day of PE, physical education, we did our stretches and the teacher says, okay, run a lap guys. And I'm thinking to myself, here we go again. Mm-hmm. I'm going to run 25 to 50 yards and I'm going to have to stop. And these kids are going to have to see this and they're going to start to tease me again. But because of the surgery, it was different. Mm -hmm. I was able to go past that point where I normally had to stop. And I remember saying to myself, come on, Paul, you got this, (laughs) bud. Keep going, keep going. And I finished the lap with the other kids. On the outside, I kept it cool. But on the inside, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. The first time in my life where I just fit in, I didn't stand out like the other kids. It was an awesome, awesome, awesome feat. And because of the surgery, things did get easier for me but I wouldn't consider them easy. Um, my parents got divorced roughly when I was about 12 or 13 years old. And as a result, I had to change schools again. Mm. And that's a tough age to be a new kid in a new school, 12 For or 13 sure. years yeah. old. Kids are going through hormonal changes. They're becoming teenagers. Um, they're, and a lot of them have already been going to school with each other for years and years. So they've already developed their cliques. Yeah. So just being a new kid alone is going to be a hard thing. But I was a new kid with a disability, meaning I walk mm-hmm. with a little bit of a limp and I hold my right arm differently. So I'm different than, than a lot of other kids. So they, they saw that and then they started mm-hmm. to pick on me. It was it was a very, very tough time in my life. You know, pulled down, you, you spit on all kinds of stuff. And um, I, I don't know. I was raised in a generation where you just didn't tattle. You just didn't snitch. So I really kept a lot of this stuff to myself. I really bottled it up. I didn't tell my mom. I didn't tell anybody uh, just because of, I guess that's how I felt like it was supposed to be. And around the same time, um, I had to take an assessment test uh, for for their high school I wanted to go to. My mom raised me Catholic, so she wanted me to go to a Catholic high school. Um, So I took an assessment test to see where they were going to place me when I got to high school. Well, I must have bombed the test because mm-hmm. when I when I uh, met with the principal and my mom, the principal tells the both of us that they're going to put me at the lowest level possible. And she doesn't expect much from me because I don't feel like I'm college material after one test wow. this principal to, to us. So now not only am I bullied and teased in school, now I think I'm stupid. Mm-hmm. I'm crying myself to sleep most nights going, why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why can't I just be like one of the other kids? Mm. And I don't know what came over me, Katie, but midway through my eighth grade before high school, I was just sick and tired of feeling angry and sad all the time. And I knew deep down those were not my go-to emotions, but because of the environment I was in, 
those were the emotions that were coming up most of the time. And I didn't want to have that anymore. And I thought, what could I do to change that? And mm. I thought to myself, what if I, I set a goal for myself and focused in on this goal and that would kind of distract me from the, all this outside noise that I was, that I was facing. So I thought, what could, what could this goal be? And at the time, time I loved baseball. So I thought, what if I set a goal to make my varsity baseball team? Wow. So I enrolled in fall ball, winter ball, spring ball. And if I wasn't doing that, I was throwing a tennis ball against the wall. Mm -hmm. And while this was going on, um, coaches were starting to, to notice me because I was always playing. I was sure. always playing. Sure. And they were like, they were like, what's going on with this kid? He, you know, he's playing all these sports. What, what, what is his goal? What is he doing? What's, what is his mm -hmm. goal? And they finally squeezed it out of me. I didn't want to tell anybody. And they squeezed it out of me. What do you, what do you want to do? Yeah. And I said, I wanted to make my varsity baseball team. And I thought he was just going to like poo poo it, laugh at me or whatever. Sure. And he said, that is doable. We can make that wow. happen. And, and I was like, what? He goes, yeah. But he goes, but the next day in practice, what I need you to do is after practice, I'm going to call the me a meeting and I'm, you're going to go in front of the front of the team and tell every single player that that's your goal. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to do that. Mm. And he's like, you have to do it. You have to put it out there. Yeah. It's not going to, it's not going to happen. If you don't put it out there, you got to have accountability. And these people, these kids are going to keep you accountable. You have to tell them. Mm. So I did. And I thought I was going to get laughed at for, for this, this goal. Yeah. And instead they started clapping for me and um, mm. I actually started to cry, but it was tears of, of joy that I can't believe that these people, these kids are rooting for me. Mm -hmm. And because of this goal, and I know this now, I didn't know this when I was doing this, I started to send a different energy out to these kids. Mm. Instead of, uh, I had my shoulders back, my head up. Mm -hmm. And as a result of this new energy, I was sending out to these kids and then in turn, they started saying a different energy back towards me. And instead oh, wow. of bullying and teasing me, they started rooting for me. Hmm. So my high school career was much different than my junior high career or middle school or whatever you want to call it. Um, all because of my energy that I changed. Sure. And that wow. alone is a win. Regardless if I make a varsity baseball team or not, mm -hmm. just that alone is a win in my opinion. Yeah. But the cherry on top of the whole thing was I was able to make my varsity baseball team. Awesome as a junior and a senior. And on my senior year, I, I pitched a three hit shutout wow. and they poured the Gatorade on me. And I, I felt so alive. I felt on top of the, on top of the world. Mm -hmm. I graduate high school. Um, and I started to think about that goal that I set for myself years earlier about making my, my varsity baseball team. And I thought, you know, when I started that goal, I thought it was near impossible. Somebody with cerebral palsy making a baseball team, that's not going to happen but I was able to accomplish that goal. Wow. So then I started to think about what that principal said to me years earlier about not being college material. See all through high school, I pretty much mailed it in because I had that narrative in my head that I wasn't college material. So I thought, what's the point of trying hard, hmm. just do enough to stay eligible to play baseball and move on. Don't waste your time. Don't do any more work than that. It, it doesn't sure. matter. So I really didn't get that uh, good of grades. But I thought, well, why not? Why can't I be college material? What does she know? Hmm. So I set another goal for myself. And I said, I'm going to set a goal to say that I am college material. So I enrolled into a junior college. I got myself a math tutor. I got myself <laughs> another tutor for other subjects. I went to the math lab. I did everything necessary to increase my grade point average. Yeah. 
And with all this hard work, I took my barely a 2.0 all the way to 3.5, where I was able to transfer to a four-year university where I was able to graduate. And I so wanted to go back to that principal and say, see, 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 you were wrong. I was college material. (laughs) But looking back at it, I should thank her because without her saying that to me, I probably wouldn't have hit the books as hard as I did in college because Mm. her voice was playing in my head over and over again. That I was going to show her that it was college material. So in the end, I should thank her for that. So I move on. So now I graduate college. I have no life experience whatsoever. I have no idea what the heck I want to do with myself. And I have a family friend who was a CEO of a small bank and he comes to me and he goes, uh, why don't I just hire you? You can become a mortgage loan officer. And I'm like, well, I got nothing better going on. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Hire me. So I get in, you know, excited about the new career. And um, people, when I got there, were shunning me. They didn't even want to talk to me. And I'm like, what in the heck is going on? I was sitting alone at lunch. I haven't felt this way since middle school. Mm-hmm. And I quickly realized what the issue was. Everybody knew I got this job because I knew the CEO of the company. So it wasn't because of my talents. It's because of who I knew. So Mm. they felt I didn't belong there. So their plan was they were going to chew me up and spit me out because I didn't belong. Mm. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to prove them wrong. So I I dug in. I had a Mm -hmm. good attitude. I never complained about the workload. I did everything they told me to do. And from afar, I was reviewing what the observing what the top loan officers did in the company because they didn't want to talk to me. Sure. I just got to uh, look at what they were doing from afar. And uh, I will never forget it. My first day where I felt like I was ready to get loans and go out in the field for the first time, uh, my family friend stops me and goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to go out and get loans. I'm ready to go. And he's like, no, 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 no. You are not ready yet. Let's get you some more training and then we'll get you out there. I'm like, no, 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 no. I got this. Let me go. Let me go. He's like, all right, man, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I go, and he was totally right. I totally need more training. I was falling <laughs> my face left and right. I was getting abused by these clients. I had no idea what the heck I was doing. But slowly but surely, I started to figure out value I could add to these clients. Mm-hmm. And once I started doing that, I started bringing in loans, more loans and more loans and more loans. And two <laughs> years later, I became a top producer in this company. Wow. And a lot of the people who didn't want to talk to me when I first got there are coming to me with questions on how I was able to turn mm-hmm. things around in such a short period of time. So I started to really, really love the mortgage industry. Then sure. 2008, 2009 hit and the economy tanked it. I would get a job in the mortgage industry and the whole company would go belly up and I have to do it again and again. This happened several times. So I started really losing the luster of being in the the mortgage industry altogether just because of this. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget this. One of the last places I was at, they brought in this motivational speaker to pump up the sales team, to motivate us to do good work. And the guy blew me away. The guy was tremendous. So after the presentation, I went up to him to tell him how great of a job he did. And he was so gracious. He kind of uh, allowed me to pick his brain a little bit and tell me what, how he did it. And he said he started as a life coach. I'm like, what the heck? A life coach? What is that? He explained that to me. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's what I want to do. Maybe I want to get into that kind of coaching. So I started to get my coaching certificate, started to get everything in line to, to do it. And I was telling people what, you know, what I was planning on doing and people were pretty much humor me. Okay. Life coach, whatever, get loans, bud, whatever, life coach, this nonsense. And then things started to really get serious. I got my website up and I was ready to go get everything going. 
And the legal team uh, gets wind of what I was doing. And I was very transparent with the legal team. I said, I'm going to continue doing the mortgage stuff. And then I'm going to do my coaching on the side. And I'm like, well, this could be a real confident conflict of interest. We're going to have to get back to you. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't mm-hmm. sound good. And they came back to me with this five page report of what I couldn't, couldn't say. Oh, and geez. if I followed this to the T, I wouldn't have got any traction in the coaching world at all. So I made a conscious decision. I was going to take a year to t- take down all my debts and do everything necessary to take this leap of faith. So I did everything I needed to do, get all my affairs in order. And a year later, I quit. Mm. And people were looking at me like I was crazy. I just made President's Club and I'm, I, and I'm quitting. And they're like, what is this life coaching thing? This is pie in the sky nonsense. You're a loan officer. You're a loan officer. Be a loan officer and get loans. I'm like, no, I'm going to quit. And they're like, okay, you're going to be back. And uh, for a while, I thought they were going to be right about that because um, I was not getting any traction in the coaching world at all. And I started to realize what the problem was. And the problem was, is how do I expect people to be vulnerable with me if I'm not vulnerable with them? Hmm. See, the story I told you, Katie, about me having cerebral palsy, I wanted to bury that story. I don't want to tell anybody that story because all through growing up, all I wanted to do was fit in. I didn't want to stand sure. out. I just wanted to be like the other kids there. So the thought of bringing up cerebral palsy, I, I would be near in tears. I didn't want to go there, but I thought the only way I'm going to be able to get traction in this business is if I own my story and I be vulnerable. Mm. So it was real janky when I started to tell my story because I was very nervous about it and want to do it. And, but I started telling my story over and over again to the point where I I don't really have any emotion about it because I talk about it all the time. And because of this, I'll never forget my first client that I got came to me and goes, Paul, I don't have cerebral palsy, but I have X, Y, and Z. And I think that you would help me. I would love to hire you as, as a coach. And I just started building from there, building from there, building clients from there. And uh, now I have a Facebook group that we go on and and things are going good. And like I said, I'm on a mission to help people Mm -hmm. rewrite their stories and take control of their lives. Like I had to do. Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, you're welcome. So if someone's listening and they're going, I feel stuck in my own story, what tips do you have for them? First off, I want you I want them to feel grace about themselves. Mm. I mean, so often we feel bad about ourselves because of the situations we're in and we give ourselves such a hard time. So first and foremost, before you try to change any of your story, do any of that, that stuff, you got to do a little soul searching in yourself. You got to understand yourself first and you got to love who you are. And the only way you can start doing that is starting to prime your brain. So for instance, when you wake up in the morning, before you start your morning routine, whatever that is, start to think about what is going well in your life. What are you Mm -hmm. grateful for? There's got to be something that you can hold on to. And that primes your brain to start to think about things that are positive that go on in in your day, because you can go the opposite way, right? You can have that negative mindset and be stuck in your story and you can get a flat tire going to work. And you could say to yourself, this would happen to me. Bad things Mm -hmm. like this always happen to me. And I would say to that individual, yeah, bad things happen to you because you're looking out for the bad. Mm. I use this example all the time because I think it's so, so great. You know how you buy a a new car and you're driving your new car around and all of a sudden you see that same car all over the place. You didn't see it before, but now you do because your mind's seeking it. 
just like a positive and negative mindset. If your mind's positive, your mind's going to seek out positive things. If your mind is negative, your, your mind is going to seek out negative things. So the first things first is we got to be aware of what we're thinking about. We got to give ourselves self-love, whatever that is. And we got to be patient with ourselves and give ourselves time to, uh, to adjust our, our thinking. And once we start to think about things differently in a different way, then we can start to go after uh, goals and get us out of that story and rewrite that story. But it all has to start with the foundation of self-love. Mm, that's so good. Self-love matters so much because you can't, you can't move forward if you don't know who you are and know that you were made to be loved. That's right. Wow. How has the overcome mindset helped you? It's changed my life. I mean, it's just changed my life uh, uh, for the better. I mean, before that baseball goal that I set for myself, that, that, that kid I was at 12 or 13 year old, years old, I, I, I did not love myself at all. Mm. I really didn't. Sure. Crying myself to sleep. I was thinking, what's the purpose of my life at all? And, and I just think, thank whoever you want to thank, thank the universe, thank God, whoever you pray to or whatever you think, but I was able to change it. Mm. And, and because I was able to change it, my whole mindset changed about myself. Yeah. And now I'm not scared of failure. I am really not my whole life ever since then. I'm not afraid to fail. I don't feel it's a failure. It's a, it's, it's a learning tool. Mm. You know, like a lot of people feel like when you fail, you're going to be in a room and like, there's going to be 30 people. They're going to point at you and say, Oh, you're a failure, failure. And, and if that's the case, you need to change your friends. If that's, if they're, if that's what they're doing to you because you mm -hmm. failed, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So, um, you know, whatever you think in your head about failure, it's way worse in your head than it really is in real life. So go after it. That's so true. That's so true. It's always worse in your head than it ends up being in real life. Yeah. What would you say to someone who's struggling with self-love? First off, again, you got to give yourself grace. I think the first thing is we feel bad. We, do, we feel bad. We feel bad, right? We're, we're, mm -hmm. And we're constantly in that loop. Mm -hmm. So first off, you got to say, you know what? what, because I'm in this situation, this really stinks. You got to mm -hmm. lick your wounds. It's okay mm -hmm. to lick your wounds. It's okay to feel sorry for yourself for a little bit. But once you get like I was, you, sometimes you'll get to a point where you get sick and tired of always having those, those angry or sad emotions coming up all the time. And that goes back to that gratitude piece. You got to start to focus on what is good right now. There is always something good right now you can focus on and just, it, and it, it will just change a little bit, a little mm -hmm. bit. And then you, every day, think of something different and different mm -hmm. and different. And then all of a sudden your, your mind has shifted. And then all of a sudden different opportunities are going to open up for you because mm -hmm. your mind's now seeking that out. It's, yeah. it's guaranteed. It is guaranteed. I know wow. some people might think that that's, this is fool's gold. It is not. It is the truth. When you start to think positive, positive things will happen. It's guaranteed, scientifically proven. I think sometimes starting positive, especially you use the analogy of first thing in the morning, it can be simply something simple of, I'm glad I've got a pillow. I like, I'm glad I've got a warm Absolutely. blanket. I'm in a warm house. I'm going to eat breakfast. You know, like yeah. I can brush my teeth today. Or I'm alive. If you're really yeah. doing bad, I'm alive right now. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Just start there. Yeah. Paul, what do you wish everyone knew? I wish everybody knew that everybody has some sort of unique talent mm -hmm. and it's up to us to discover what this unique talent is 
And once we discover what this talent is, it's up to us to share it with the world to see. I, I truly believe that, that everybody has a talent mm. and the talents change. When you get older, you, you, you develop different talents. So it's just great. I like that thought of the talents change because there are some things I was good at, like as a kid that I'm like, I'm not good at this anymore, but I yeah. bet there are new things that I wasn't good at at that point either. Yeah, exactly. You're right. So if people want to learn more, where can they learn more? The easiest way to get in touch with me is through my Facebook group, Rewrite Your Story. And it's a great group of people. They come all over the world and basically they share their stories and we're only there to support. No judgment, wow. only support. We have meetup groups once a month where people come in and we become friends. We give a space for everybody to share what's been going on in their life since the last time we met. We're all there to support. We help their businesses. We do a whole, whole bunch of stuff. So it's a great group of people. I would love for any of your viewers to come aboard. It's Rewrite Your Story Facebook group, and you can get me there. And then if you want to talk to me there and set up a consultation, you can. I have a website too, but it, uh, it's best just go through my uh, Facebook group. Cool. We will link to that in the show notes as well. Great. What have I not asked you that you want to talk about? Well, let's, let's dive in a little bit about uh, limited beliefs okay. for a second. Um, we all have it. Mm. We all have limiting beliefs about ourselves some way, somehow, and we'll never not have limited beliefs. I have limited beliefs about myself now. You know, I love it. You know, when you talk, when you see some of these videos and these gurus talk and they said, when I was a human, I felt blah, blah, blah. But now I'm a master and I know that's a bunch of nonsense. I'm still have limited beliefs about myself and everybody does, but we just need to realize that this is just a thought. Mm. It does not have to be your reality. You can change it. But the thing is the only way you can change it is you got to go down that rabbit hole and you got to be aware of that limited belief. You got to, you got to, you got to throw it out there. I know it's hard sometimes to, to think about it and you want to not bury your limited beliefs, but you just got to put it out in the open. And when you put it out in the open and see it, see it, write it down, Sometimes you'll laugh at yourself. Like, oh, I really thought this is a limited belief about myself. Mm. You know, just put it out there and, and that will help you change your thinking. That's so good. So kind of a fun question for you. Yeah. If you could be any inanimate object, what would you be and why? I would, uh, you know, I love the beach. So I think I would want to be a seashell and I would, Ooh. you know, where the sun is beating down and then I get relief from the water tickling me back mm. and forth. So I think I'd be a seashell. That sounds beautiful and peaceful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would be cool. That'd be awesome. Well, Paul, thank you so much for your time today. This has been so helpful to me. I know it's been helpful to listeners as well. I am inspired by your story and excited to enact it in my own life. Thanks, Katie. I really appreciate it. Have a good day. You too. As always, big thanks for listening. I really liked Paul's comment about be aware of what you're thinking about. I feel like that's especially important right now as we're continuing the saga that is the 2020s. Be sure to connect with Paul at the Rewrite Your Story Facebook group. I would love to connect with you as well. If you haven't already, please hit follow or subscribe on this podcast. You can also find me at katieaxelson.com, on Instagram at katieaxelson, or on Facebook at katieaxelsonwriter. My friend, know how loved you are. Know how appreciated you are. Know how the hard parts of your past do not have to dictate your future. I believe in you, and I love you. We'll see you again in two weeks. <laughs>